Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. A couple of you are okay. That's good. I apologize in advance. I'm just coming off of a cold. I was out of work a couple days this week, so if I'm, if I'm hacking up along up here, I apologize in advance. Just bear with me with that. But i um, really excited. We're moving on in our wide open series. We've been exploring this idea that God invites us to live a wide open and generous life. But so often our fears can rob us of the joy of a faith-filled heart. And when that happens, we become closed off to all that God wants to make possible in and through our lives. And in this series on generosity, we've been reminded that God, as the video said, doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. God wants that, us to have joy in our lives, not constant anxiety. He wants us to have intimacy with him and others, not loneliness and isolation. God wants us to live with purpose and make a larger impact on the lives around us, not just survive the everyday grind. That's why our theme verse for this generosity series has been Romans 5.2, right? It reminds us what happens when in faith we open up to all that God has for us. In Romans 5.2, it says, and that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. What an awesome verse. It basically says the God of the universe is inviting you and me to be wide open with him, wide open to his plan for our lives by rediscovering the joys of having a generous heart. And that's why we're inviting anyone who calls Daybreak uh, their church family and anyone else who wants to join in to engage in seeking God, hearing from God, and saying yes to God's heart for us in the area of generosity. And I get it, like this is kind of contrary to our human nature, right? The more natural reaction for us is to resist being wide open to being generous because naturally we have a desire to hang on to things for security, right? If you've seen, if you've, you know, recently seen like a newborn baby, right? One of the first things that I love to do when I see a newborn baby is put my pinky in their hand, right? Why do I do that? Because the first thing that they do is grab onto that thing for dear life, right? And they don't let go, right? That's, that's kind of our, our, our natural reaction, right? To hold on to things, to hold, uh, hold your coffee, hold, send an email, catch a ball, countless things, all these things that we use our hands for, we rely on them for, right? And when we look at that newborn baby, again, their natural reaction is to grab that finger and hold on to dear life, and it plays out throughout our, our entire life, right? I watch my kids fight over toys, and they grab them from each other, and they say, mine, 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 this is mine. Middle schoolers are learning how to hold on tight to their cell phones so they don't drop them and break them. In high school, kids are grabbing instruments and basketballs and baseballs and books, maybe even a boyfriend or girlfriend, and finding their identity in those things, holding on to, grasping those things. In college, we get that diploma, right? And we hold on to that with both hands. We paid for this thing. We're not letting it go. And when you meet Mr. and Mrs. Wright, you're holding that hand all the way to the altar. As we start our careers, right, we, we grab each new rung on the corporate ladder in retirement, we hold on to that retirement fund, and eventually, maybe even reluctantly, maybe we find ourselves holding on to a cane or a walker for stability. <clears throat> Excuse me. For some people, even in their last moments in a hospital bed, they're holding on to the edge of that bed, holding on to what seems like just life in itself. And for some of us, it's only in death that we finally find the peace to kind of release that grip. 
because by nature, we're clutchers, right? We grab onto things, we hold onto things, we hold tight to them, and don't want to have to let go. We worry and we have anxiety about holding on to what we have because it's part of our nature and it always has been. We have this reflexive response in our life that when something we hold dear might be on the line, it doesn't matter who or what tries to get us to relax our grip. Our response is, no, it's not happening. No way, not for you, not for anyone, not even God. And yet some of you, and I'm kind of jealous of you in a, little, in, in a little bit in this way, some of you have experienced God in a very different way. You've experienced him as that loving and generous father. Some of you in this room this morning know, that, know God in a way that he's described in Psalm 145, 16, when it says, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Some of you know what it looks like and, and feels like to experience God opening his hands to you. And maybe you've, it's because you've put your trust in Jesus because you've experienced his love and grace when you know you didn't deserve it. Maybe you've walked with God long enough and trusted him through enough hard times that you know that God's resources, they don't run out. And you know that even in our most difficult times, our, most, our biggest hardships, that the Father's goodness can still be found and his spirit still guides and still leads us and Jesus continues to work in us. So when we look at our hands as clutchers, right, when we look at our hands as clutchers and compare them to Jesus' open hands, it seems that the position of the creator's hands are, are often in contrast to the position that we find our hands in. Because hand, the hands of Jesus were wide open. They are wide open to heal, to teach, to love, to feed, to free people. And in the ministry of Jesus, we see hands that are open, hands that are generous. And it makes us kind of wish that, that our hands were a little bit more like that, a little bit more like Jesus, a little more ge generous, a little more loving, a little more kind. We wish that we were a little less worried, fearful, driven, or even guarded about the things that we cling to, the things that we hold on to, that our hands weren't so tightly clenched. And today we're going to look at this, we're going to explore this in, in Luke 19. If you want to pull out your Bibles or follow along in your outlines or on the screens, we're going to talk about the story of a man named Zacchaeus. Right? A lot of you guys know Zacchaeus, you know the song, you've heard the story. And his, we're going to see today his life was changed by an encounter with Jesus. Michael Sinconis knows the song, I can tell. <laughs> right? His life was changed by Jesus. And it's a man whose hands were once clenched and became wide open to God. So we'll start Luke 19, verses 1 through 4. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man na there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And I love Zacchaeus because he's a short dude, right? Where are my short people at? Yeah, my people, <laughs> right? He's a short guy, and he's kind of, he's desperate here. He wants to see Jesus, but he knows, you know, I'm not going to be able to see over this six-foot-tall guy, so I'm going to go climb a tree. He runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a tree. He's in a, this kind of place, and beyond his height, he really didn't think that he had, he just didn't think he had much of a chance to talk to Jesus because of who he was. He was a tax collector. He was a clutcher. He was the lead clutcher. He was a career clutcher. That's what he did, and he was... What happened? <laughs> career clutcher, you like that? All right, he was a career clutcher. <laughs> That's what he did. 
But he was the guy who recruited other tax collectors, right? And he trained them not only to, to collect taxes, but he trained them how to steal from others by collecting whatever they wanted, taking some off the top, and then having the backing of the roaming, uh, Roman army saying it was okay. That's what he did. That's why who this guy was and why people kind of didn't like him at the time, and also why he felt like, I'm never going to be able to talk to this Jesus guy. Now, none of us here this morning are, are, are cheating tax, tax collectors, at least I hope not. But my guess is that most of us can kind of at least relate to Zacchaeus in this kind of clutching mentality of like, I want as much as I can for myself as I can possibly can get, get it. And, and I can relate to this, right? At my job, I'm responsible for a lot of projects that impact my department, impact my organization. And as a leader in my organization, I know that part of my responsibility is to go out and get other people's input, involve other people in these projects so I can make the best decision going forward. But a lot of times, the temptation that I have, working in the corporate world where everybody's trying to get ahead, the temptation that I have is to hang on to those projects, grab them and say, no, I'm going to make this, this decision. If it works out, guess who's going to get the credit? I am. When I know that's not how God would want me to. God would want me to spread that credit and make sure everybody's involved in that. And I know that if we all dug deep enough, right, I know that I'm not on an island here, right? We could all find something about ourselves that points to the fact that we have a little more in common with this selfish tax collector named Zacchaeus than we might like to admit. And like moments, and like moments that we betrayed a friend or a family member by gossiping about them or, or speaking less positively about them to make ourselves feel better, or in that moment when we walk by someone in need, knowing that we could help them out but choosing not to for whatever reason, or the moment that we held on to something too tightly to make sure that we got our fair share, to get what we thought we deserved, or whatever example you might be thinking of right now, it's moments like these that make us realize that we are a lot more like Zacchaeus than we probably think when we look at it at face value. But Zacchaeus, when we look at him, Right? He was financially successful. He had money. Right? Whether it was come by honestly or dishonestly, he was a financially successful person because he was a clutcher. He had more money than he ever needed. And lots of people worked for him. He really was a somebody. In that time, in that culture, he was kind of at the top of the food chain. Yet he still felt like in his heart of hearts, the reason he went through all this kind of climbing the tree, trying to see Jesus, he felt like in his heart of hearts, something was still missing. He was lonely. He felt emptiness. He wasn't happy. So he did what all of us would do in those moments when we feel like something's missing, when we feel like there's a hole that needs filling. He went looking. He went looking for whatever it was that was missing that could plug that hole. And now the beautiful thing about Zacchaeus, and I don't know that all of us naturally come to this place, the beautiful thing about what he did is that he seemed to know that Jesus might have something to fill what was missing, right? He looked at this and says, man, there must be something about this Jesus guy, and I can relate to this. Part of my salvation story is through a number of circumstances, I came to a place of just like, maybe there is something about this Jesus guy that I need to look into, right? So I can relate to Zacchaeus here. Zacchaeus showed up looking for Jesus. But my guess is that he wasn't really expecting that someone like Jesus would even look his direction. Because closed hands are a sign of a heart in need of something more. Zacchaeus knew that his hands, that he was a clutcher, and closed hands are a sign of a heart in need of something more. And he knew that his heart needed that. Right? He was aware 
of what we all wonder sometimes. We wonder in spite of all that we've done, our sin, our guilt, our selfishness, our close-handedness, our shame, in spite of that, all of that, could God even look at us? We wonder, with all that going on, could God ever love someone like me? And this is the place that Zacchaeus finds himself in as he's climbing a tree, trying to get a look at the man that can help him. And again, maybe you can relate to him. He looked on the surface. You know, he's a well-put-together man. He had money. He looked good on the surface. But underneath, he felt unsettled, insecure, like something was missing. And so he ran ahead. He climbed the tree because in his heart, he knew something that we all know. We desperately need God. We long for his love and we long for his grace. And Zacchaeus climbed that tree probably never imagining that what was about to happen could ever happen to someone like him. And in verses 5 through 7, it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So dinner with Jesus, right? Can you imagine having dinner with Jesus? Like, what would you ask him? What would you say to him? And I'm sure all these thoughts are kind of going through Zacchaeus' mind. He's climbing down from that tree. Like, how is this going to go? Because this was not something that Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus expected, not something that anyone that saw this happening expected. In fact, the whole crowd is really shocked and upset by the whole thing. They're saying things like, who is this guy that he should get an audience with Jesus? He's not generous. He's greedy. He only cares about himself and what he owns. He doesn't deserve Jesus' time. He doesn't deserve Jesus' love. Zacchaeus is not a good person, they're saying. He's driven by money. He's selfish. He'll never change. And when you read this and you kind of know what Zacchaeus' background is, you kind of get the sense of like a lot of the stuff that they're saying isn't necessarily wrong. All these things are true about Zacchaeus. This man by nature was a close-handed man. And, you know, in spite of the fact that he may have had those closed hands, he spent his whole life up to that moment holding tight to what he earned and possessed. But in that moment, when Jesus told him, look, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, I want to have dinner with you. When Jesus met him there, Zacchaeus had to have been ambushed by Jesus' love. Ambushed and overcome by Jesus' love. In that moment, he experienced for the first time God's wide open, amazing grace. And in that moment, Jesus looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, I see you. I know you. And I love you for you. And he proves this to Zacchaeus by doing something that no one expects something that Jesus probably full well knew that no one was going to like. He says, I'm going to honor you by having dinner at your house. And I'd ask you, like, do you remember that moment for you? Do you remember that moment where you realized that Jesus loved you despite all of your shortcomings, that Jesus loved you for you? What did that moment look like for you? A moment like that for me was during my ordination ceremony. If you've never been to an ordination ceremony, there's a point in time where the person that's about to be ordained gets up and kind of gives testimony of like what got them to that place where they're about to be ordained. And I remember in, while I was talking, getting choked up like several times because I just remember thinking like, 
as I, as I recounted kind of these like landmark times in my life where Jesus showed up, showed me his love and got me through those things, I remember like thinking, man, I didn't deserve any of that. And I got choked up because, because of that, I just felt overwhelmed. I felt overcome by the fact that God loved me enough to save me, to call me, to sustain me, to sanctify me. I remember thinking he did all of that in spite of my sin, in spite of my shame, in spite of my shortcomings. In that moment, I was ambushed by Jesus' love. And it's moments like those, and most of you know what I'm talking about. It's moments like those where you're overcome and overwhelmed by Jesus' love. Those are life-changing and life-giving moments that Jesus wants all of us to have. So where were you ambushed by Jesus' love? Do you know that that is what Jesus is here to do for you, to love you, even when you feel unlovable, like you don't deserve it? And I believe that Jesus right now is speaking to some of us saying, I see you, I know you, I love you for you. My arms and my hands are wide open to you. Do you know that it's possible that even in this moment, that God is inviting you into a relationship with with him, into a deeper relationship with him. That's what he wants for you. That's what Jesus says to you when he says that his arms are wide open to you. And when we make that realization, when we become aware of Jesus' love and amazing grace, we begin to realize that when we are ambushed by God's generous love, our hands have a way of opening up. When we're ambushed by God's generous love, our hands have a way of opening up. When we're ambushed by God's generous love, we end up surrendering, right? We say, if, if you're willing to love me like that, if you're willing to love me in spite of the fact that I don't think that I even deserve it, I don't even deserve for you to look my way, if you're willing to love me, I'm yours, God. And when we surrender, we're set free to become wide open for God to work in and through us to love him and love others with all that we are and all that we have, we rediscover the joy of a gen- the generous heart of our creator. And so moving on in chapter 19, verse 8, it starts, it starts out with this word meanwhile, which in this, in this verse, this word meanwhile, it means while everything else is going on. Right, Jesus is having dinner with Zacchaeus, and meanwhile, the people were grumbling. Meanwhile, the people are judging. Meanwhile, the people are jealous. While all that is happening, Jesus is at Zacchaeus' house having a conversation with him over dinner. And I don't know necessarily what was said in that conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus, but I want to tell you this morning what I hope and what I kind of think it might have sounded like. And as I tell you that, what I think it might have been that conversation, what might have sounded like. I want to invite you just to kind of close your eyes this morning as I, as I kind of tell you this and, and just kind of think, imagine that you're sitting across the table from Jesus, that you're Zacchaeus and Jesus is speaking these words to you and what it would mean to you if Jesus looked at you and said these things. So just close your eyes for a minute and imagine Jesus sitting across the table having dinner and saying this directly to you. Zacchaeus, what your heart wants so badly will never be satisfied by whatever it is that you're hanging on to so tightly. Your heart was designed to be wide open to my grace, wide open to my love, wide open to loving others. 
You have purpose. I designed you. I gave you talents and resources so you could be generous and be part of changing the world one life at a time. Right now, you're settling. You're settling for clutching your stuff to satisfy your heart. But you know that that will never satisfy you. I designed you for a deep connection with me. I'm offering you forgiveness today. I'm offering you a new start. I'm offering you a relationship with me that will change your whole world forever. Soon, I'm going to be so generous to you. I'm going to leverage all that I have and my future for yours. Salvation is yours. It's a free gift from me to you because I love eyes closed for a second. Jesus is sitting across the table from you telling you how much he loves you. Can you feel right now what Zacchaeus must have felt in being overwhelmed by that love, finding out that he was here to save him? To be ambushed by God's love sitting across the table today, looking you in the eye and telling you these things. Go ahead and open your eyes. Zacchaeus, probably overwhelmed in maybe the same way you might have been a little bit right now, he stands up at dinner. In the middle of dinner, he stands up, his hands wide open, his heart wide open to God, wide open to love others. In verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. And I want you to understand what he's actually saying here, right? Look past kind of the monetary, uh, what's being said as far as what he's going to do monetarily. What he's saying is, in this moment, my heart has changed. I get it. My heart now is wide open. I want to love God. I want to love others. He's saying, Jesus, I'm wide open to your love. I never imagined what a dose of your generous love and grace would do in my heart. And God, I get it. I'm wide open. I don't want to hold anything back. I don't want to rent rooms in my heart for stuff anymore. All this money that I have, that I've clinged to, that I've clutched for so long, it's never really satisfied me anyway. I want to be wide open, so I'll give it away. Me giving this, him giving this away was a sign of what God had done in his heart as Jesus spoke these things over him. He realized that when you become wide open to God, you become wide open to others. And again, it's easy to look at this story and get caught up in the financial aspect of it, right? Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. No matter how he got his money, he had money. So, of course, a step like this probably might have been, might have been easy for him. But I want you to keep in mind the heart change that Zacchaeus had here. And I want you to notice in verses 9 and 10 what Jesus says to him in response to, his, to Zacchaeus' generosity. It says, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. 
Jesus doesn't hear Zacchaeus and say, man, that's a great idea. He doesn't hear Zacchaeus and say, wow, that's a little too over the top. Let's, let's rein that in a little bit. Jesus hears Zacchaeus. He hears his heart and says, today, mark it on the calendar, today salvation has come to this house. He actually acknowledges the reality of Zacchaeus' salvation based on his willingness Right? His willingness to allow his heart to be wide open. His cheerful eagerness to say, God, I want to love you and I want to love other people. To part with his money for the glory of God and the love of others. Jesus is saying, this guy gets it. His actions are showing me that he gets it. He understands salvation and the wide open response that a life with me requires. Zacchaeus, you get it. And Zacchaeus understood that. How we handle our money and possessions is the evidence of true and deep spiritual change and, and impacts the lives of others. That's what Zacchaeus began to understand. And what I mean by this is that our, the way we handle our money and possessions is kind of a good litmus test as to whether or not we fully grasp what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be devoted to Jesus, what it means to have our arms and our hands wide open, to know that God is more important in your life than anything else that we have. And in response to that, we have to ask ourselves whether our relationship with money is stronger than our relationship with God. Is our relationship with our stuff, the things that we're holding on to, the things that we're clutching to, is that we have a stronger relationship with those things than we do with God? And to tell us kind of how he grappled with this question, GHR's own Mark Shuey sat down with us and put some thoughts down on a video that I wanted to share with you this morning. Every time, without fail, that I've placed God's interests ahead of my own, he has stretched me to the point which grew my faith and advanced my walk with him. For example, um, Years ago, I did not even want to go to a small group meeting. Uh, I was forced to. I've been a small group leader now for 13 years. Um, many times, I went to interest meetings regarding missions trips, and then I just wouldn't sign up, telling myself, this isn't the year. Well, seven years ago, I went on my first missions trip, and once again, God showed up, and he changed my life through a decision that I made to put him first, and not my own interests. That occurred again this summer. I went on a missions trip with 19 remarkable people from daybreak. We went to Cuba in June. And we were not even in Cuba one hour. And God sent me a powerful message, which will, I think, he's trying to tell me to step out and stretch my life once again. Um, we got on a bus, and we were told that instead of going to our original destination, we're going to make a detour. A pastor who uh, lived nearby was so thrilled and joyful that we, 19 people from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, Daybreak Church, were coming to help his church in Cuba, that he was going to put on a breakfast for us. Wonderful. Well, we get to the neighborhood where this pastor lived, and um, I had never seen a more impoverished neighborhood in my life. Grinding poverty. We get to the pastor's house, and there's a beautiful breakfast, fruits and juices and meats. Remarkable. And I thought, this man is not used to putting on a breakfast for 19 people from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. 
He's used to scratching out a day-to-day -day existence, but he gave so generously and joyfully that it made a huge impact upon me. And I thought, God's trying to stretch me once again. I don't know anyone that generous. I'm not that generous. This man had very little, yet he gave everything with open hands and a smile on his face and in his heart. And we come from a land of plenty, and I hold on to things tight. So, I know what God's telling me. He's telling me that my generosity is somewhere over here, and I gave you a glimpse of what true, unconditional, uncommon generosity looks like. My challenge is, how do I get from here to there? I love that challenge that Mark gave us. How do I get from here to there? And the challenge that we have to figure out, where is, where is the here that we are today? And, and, and where's the there that God is calling us to? And how do we get there? I love that Mark was, was open and honest with us about the grappling that he had with generosity as he walked into that pastor's church and kind of had that dialogue with God. And I also love that we're doing some of this grappling as a church family during this season. Because as a church, we want to become generous like Jesus, right? We don't just want to like buy a building. We don't want to fix up a building for no reason. We want to do it because it helps us be more generous, right, in this grappling process that we find ourselves in. It's like we're struggling to figure out how to get our hands wide open to what God is calling us to as individuals, but also, also as a church family. But once we get through that struggle and see what it looks like to have our hands wide open, we're going to see that our hearts and our hands are wide open as individuals and as a church family as it relates to generosity and to loving the way that God has called us to. This is the conversation that all of us are having, right? It's a conversation that our church family is having. Our, our goal for this generosity initiative is 100% engagement, right? 100% of the people in Daybreak, in our church family, having this conversation, doing some of this grappling with God. It's something that I'm grappling with right now. My family's grappling with right now. We felt led to add an extension onto our house and, and move both uh, Karina's parents and my mom into our house. So we're in the planning stages of that. Just got the finalized prints and everything like that. But that's a huge financial undertaking, right? And the conversation I'm having with God is how can I still be generous the way that God wants me to, knowing the financial implications of this project that we're doing? What does that look like for my family? And all of you are having similar conversations, probably not around an extension, but similar conversations as it relates to, to how do you be generous in this season of your life? How do you buy into this kind of initiative that Daybreak is doing at the leading of God in a way that, that, that makes sense for your family? And to kind of help you with this conversation, I wanted to give you a little bit of a resource. If you pull out your guidebook and turn to page 16, it's called The Next Steps Giving pathway. And what this is designed to do, it's designed to help you kind of figure out, as Mark said, where your here is and where the there is that God is trying to get you to. Now, I want to encourage you, no matter where you are on this page, I want to encourage you that if you're not even on this page yet when it comes to your generosity, it's okay. This is a conversation starter with God. 
this is where I'm at, and God, this is where you're leading me to be. And this morning, God, I want to tell you, God is inviting you as an individual and us as a church family into something special, to be part of what he is doing uh, in our church family by being wide open to him, by having our hearts wide open to him. He wants to invite you this morning to be ambushed by his love. He wants to invite you to be wide open to what he wants for your life and what he wants from your heart. So this morning in response, you can pull out your response cards. I want to leave you not just with with your guidebook, that next step giving pathway, but I want to leave you with a question to engage God in over the next few minutes, encourage you to use your response cards if you, you hear God talking to you and you want us to pray with you. But the question I have for you as you kind of process that next step giving pathway, we've come to an understanding through, through God, Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus. We've come to this understanding that God has opened his hands to us. God has opened his hands to us. The question he's asking right now is how willing are you to open yours to him? So I invite you to process that question with God. Do some grappling right now as, as the, the, the worship team comes up and plays. Do some grappling with God and have that conversation. And if you want to do a bit of a physical response this morning as, as we're playing, as we're singing, and you want to just start with wherever you feel like your, your hands are right now. Are they clenched? Are they open a little bit? Are they wide open? Start there. For me, my hands are probably kind of clenched, right? And as we process this, as we do this grappling, I want you to just slowly open your hands to the place where you feel like God is leading you to be. Where's the there that God wants from you? Do that as kind of a physical response to what God's trying to do in your heart this morning. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for ambushing us with your love. for being wide open with your love to us, God. Help us to take your challenge of kind of figuring out where we are, where's our here right now when it comes to generosity? And where's the there that you're trying to get us to, God? And I'm thankful, Lord, that that you're not gonna make us connect those dots alone, that you're gonna walk through us, walk through that with us, Walk through that process with us, God. And that we have an awesome church family around us to support us in that journey. So I pray this morning, God, if there's anybody that's struggling with that, struggling with understanding your wide open love, understanding how to be wide open with you, that in this moment right now, over the next few minutes, you help them to grapple with that and allow their heart to be wide open to you, Lord Jesus. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.